I'm the Property Funder, better known as Michael Dean, and this is the Property Funder podcast. I'm a successful entrepreneur, investor, NED and advisor. As co-founder of Avermore Capital, I'm best known for having financed over a billion pounds of property developments and investments by value during my career so far. During my time in business, I've come across an incredibly broad spectrum of successful people all with their own unique experiences working in a variety of industries. I want to speak to these people and learn more about them. I'm not looking to have the world's biggest podcast, so if just one person benefits from what my guests have to say, then that to me would look like success. And if you are that one person, then you should probably not tell anyone about this. Andrew, do you want to tell us your full name and the name of your business and describe what your business does, please? Yeah, sure. Um, thanks a lot for having me on there to, on here today, Michael. Um, my name is Andrew Robinson. I'm a founder and CEO of Ark & Co. Um, we've been set up 15 years um, and we are debt and equity advisory, focusing on the real estate sector. That's great. And what, what got you into that line of work? Um, you know, what were the steps you had to get there? But, you know, it take, take, takes me back a long way now. We're talking <laughs> nearly 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> or 20. It was 2002. Okay, uh, quite an interesting um, background, really. There wasn't any, you know, I didn't want to be into brokerage, as it's called now. now then now it's advisory. It was really a, after university, um, there wasn't any graduation schemes that actually accepted me. So uh, I, I kind of sat at home twiddling my thumbs in the summer after graduation. And in the um, Times, there was an advert, uh, a bit like uh, the old war one, saying you're, you're wanted or we need you. And uh, it was brokers needed with uh, with that same picture on. And, and for me, it was about, I come from Warwickshire uh, in the countryside, kind of always wanted to work in London. So I thought, well, I'll just phone them up and see what see what happens, really. So um, they automatically said, come down and have an interview. So came down. I walked into, it was a, a, um, a building, 120 New Cavendish Street. And uh, I actually went there because I was looking for a new office last month and it brought back a few memories. I walked into the uh, office and there was about 50 people all on their phones, great atmosphere. And it just got you know, just got the bug straight away. And um, I walked in and we sat down and we we're just having a chat. And after about half an hour, they just said, look, we'd love you to come and work here. And I said, well, what is it you actually do? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think I was sold because I had this kind of picture in my head of, uh, I don't know, in the 80s, 90s, you know, kind of trader London, Wall Street, Michael Douglas kind of thing. And everyone wants to be that kind of thing. So that kind of atmosphere got me. And they said, we look, we do, we do mortgages, we do um, uh, life insurance and uh, that kind of stuff. Well, that didn't really kind of take to me, but the, the mortgage side was. Uh, so that kind of, that's what got me into it. Uh, and uh, then I started underneath their umbrella, self-employed. So, you know, it's commission only, didn't really phase me. Uh, 23 years old, 
uh, just give it a go. And uh, yeah, I just started uh, doing mortgages uh, from 2002 time. I was quite lucky because I had quite a few friends which moved to London. Uh, a few people went into professional sport and I can tag off the back of them. And kind of changing room mentality, they referred me to uh, to friends really. So that, that that was the start of it all as from basic mortgage broking. So, so, so in summary that when you got into, so what was the name of this company that you, that you joined in 2002? Well, I don't know if I'm allowed to tell that. I <laughs> uh, oh, really? Okay. Okay. <laughs> it was, I, I don't mind. They were part of the Zurich Advice Network and they were called Faber Calibus. And I think you might have um, interviewed someone else, which has uh, uh, started there as well. But oh, how it, funny. It, it, it was, a, it was a great, great company, really. Um, you know, it was the end of an era, I'd say, from uh, pre-regulation and, uh, you know, how, how people work now. Um, but it was a very cutthroat, you know, commission only 23 uh, and not much support, training, just get on with it. Um, it kind of appealed to me and I kind of liked it. Uh, you know, there's no, you only had to, you're only accountable for yourself. And if you didn't deliver, then, you know, you're out. Uh, so, and I quite like that. And um, so... It was a, um, and they're, they're quite a good, they're quite a good platform because there's some big uh, personalities in there, which I quite liked. Um, yeah, I quite like it if there's an atmosphere and a big personality it fires up, and you need to kind of uh, prove them wrong. Uh, so uh, you know, it's a real for me. It was a very, very good grounding. And you you talk about how there's there wasn't much support, there wasn't much training, commission only. Um, you know, it sounds like a very challenging in environment to try and build yourself up in. How did how did you manage to to kind of get through it? I mean, especially day one, blank sheet of paper, no clients. How how do you make it work? You know, how how, yeah, how, did, how did you how did you get the get the momentum going? Yeah, no, it is about momentum, right? You know that in business and and, and getting that ball uh, ball rolling. Um, I guess it, it came from, you know, there's, you can't go away from long hours, but it's about what you're doing, uh, doing those hours. Uh, there was a lot of cold calling. Uh, I didn't really take that very well. Really, I'm more personable from it and, and building up uh, trust and relationships that way. So it really was friends. And you know, I said earlier on that um, when I went to university, I went, uh, I was lucky to go to university where they're quite good at sport. And a lot of those uh, people came out and pl- uh, played um, professional sport. And really, what happened is, and it was mainly rugby as well, in 2002, uh, rugby being professional for seven years, I believe, and the contracts just started to get big enough for people to qualify for mortgages. Um, so it became interesting uh, for it. So it actually Wasps when they were based in Acton, and a couple of my friends went and worked um, or played for Wasps. Um, I managed to get them on the property ladder uh, at a young age. Uh, and then the rest of the team kept on saying, well, who sorted you out? Go and see Andrew Robinson. Uh, and really, it was a referral basis and relationship basis. And what started to happen from there was um, not just within WASP, but then players transferred. So I might have gone to some players at Harlequins or Bath or something like that. Uh, and you kind of moved around uh, um, from different clubs. So I, I kind of grew like that. But I think the big change was uh, when they started to buy into new build properties, either as in um, the residential side or an investment, we got to meet the developer. And he quite liked what I was doing. Uh, and the developer then started to refer me more of their clients. So it was, it was all organic. Um, but the real big change was um, 
the developer then started asking me about development finance. That was a big change because it took me from the mortgage sector into the development finance side. Um, and at that time, this is going into mid 2000s, so 2005, 2006, it was glory days in development finance. And, you know, uh, if you sneezed, you got 120% kind of from the Irish back. So I kind of asked my question, what, what value can I give you, right? Because you've got the best already. And when when that crash happened, when the Irish banks took away, it took away everything that these these people had. So they had to start again. Uh, so by the time it took me from 2002 to 2005 to seven time, you know, those three to five years uh, to build up that network, build up that confidence and relationship. And then the market changed. And the real good thing for me uh, was when a market changed, that was when I could step in and step up. Yeah, uh, I mean, certainly I. I... I was still a bit of a pup at the time, so I, I I don't have personal experience of it. But I remember speaking to a few developers. I think they were working with. They mentioned the name Dunbar, so, but uh, please don't sue me if uh, if if I'm speaking out of turn. But literally, they would uh, they would send a text message to their relationship manage, manager at one of these banks and say, "I need you know Tom. I need five million quid tomorrow. Can you can you wire it to such and such solicitor?" Uh, and lo and behold, the money would be in that solicitor's client account the next day. Uh, I mean, it's... It, you know, as, I, as, I think there are others. And I think Dunbar were probably on the lower of the risk curve. If you went to the Icelandic, they would have sent it within the same hour. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, it's, it seems like a completely different world to what we, we live in now, particularly as someone who who's run a lending business for the last eight years. The idea that you would uh send send someone uh, on the back of a, a text message large sums of money uh, i mean five million was was this particular chap's uh, level but i think you could probably get multiples of that uh following a similar process i i, I guess when you know as you were coming up the ranks pre-2007 pre-2008 it's very hard for you to to add value as a intermediary in that situation because the money was so free and easy so so do you feel in do you feel in that situation in that context that actually uh, ironically the financial crisis was actually a positive thing for you because it, it finally it gave you the opportunity to create that sort of differentiation yeah it, it was probably the biggest event in my life ever really because uh, if you look at it you know i was in there's nothing wrong with mortgage broken but i needed to evolve you know i was mortgage broken i was doing 20 30 mortgages myself and there's only a month and there's only so many you can't you've got a ceiling you've got a cap for what you can do uh, and you know uh, you need to evolve yourself constantly um and you're right when someone's offering you money like they used to you can't add any value and so when i decided to set up arkinco at the end of 07 it wasn't on the intention of here comes this market here's the opportunity it's because i wanted to grow a brand and uh, so, as a sole trader doing mortgages, I wanted I wanted to move I wanted to move on up. What happened was, and I was 27, 28 at the time, um, you know, and a bit wet behind the ears. I thought nothing's going to affect me. My clients will stick with me all the time, kind of stuff. Uh, and what happened was, obviously, everything changed in the world. Uh, and you know, going from say a couple of hundred lenders in the market to say probably one or two active ones, uh, if they were there at all suddenly everything dries up, right? So you have a period of dry um, where nothing is happening at all. You know, you got six, eight months, I remember uh, those times where there was just no cash flow, right? So you got a new business starting, 
you've got no cash flow, so you've got to overcome that part. Uh, but then the opportunity, so if you stick in there, and what happened when that change happened is that people wanted to understand what was going on in the market. People wanted to be, they needed to be re-educated. Um, the whole lending platform completely changed. Now, those lenders didn't drop out and come back in. They just no longer existed. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, and, and then from direct lending became new lenders like uh, Titlestone. I remember when uh, uh, they launched and as soon as I walked out uh, of their office and I thought, my God, I need to phone up every client I've got and get on the phone because this is this is incredible. And, and the periods of change create massive opportunities and we're going to go through it again soon. Mm. And and what happened there, it allowed myself really um, to build up, uh, I'll go evolve just from mortgages into the commercial and development, uh, initially um, development and then into commercial. But it, it gave such opportunity. Uh, and without that happening, you know, I don't, well, I hope I would have still uh, got to where we are now, but I think it would have been a lot difficult. So the, the leg up really came from uh, the big crash in 2008. Mm. Yeah, I mean, the, the Stone is a really interesting one because I remember when they launched and again, I think it was the same chap who 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 was the, the Dunbar client and he, he mentioned Titlestone and, it, you know, you could see the excitement on his face, you know, because it was almost like, the, you know, the good old days were, were, were back sort of thing. But I just want to touch on your, the you know, the, the, what you're saying about cash flow and, and seeing things through. I mean, presumably you would have had some pretty lean months. Uh, during, you know, during, I suppose, the the really darker, I, I guess that would have been sort of back end of 08 into 09 at, at the worst, or was it sort of a bit a bit before that? Well, being, being quite crude, at 27, 28, when I decided to create Argonco, I had about £150,000 in the bank, and I thought that was a lot of money for creating a company. Uh, I think I, I went through that in about six, seven months, so you're probably not wrong on timings. I got to the end of 08 and uh, I, I was on thin air, uh, thin air, to say the least. I took a few people on, uh, you know, normal mistakes in business. You think you have to recruit people straight away, spend a bit of money on an office and start spending money on websites and brand identity and all this business, uh, which are important, but you, know, they, um, you have to map it out properly. And uh, so, you know, you learn fast, you know, because money does go quickly. Um, cash flow became a problem. You know, there were situations when I was swiping my own credit card to pay the bills. Uh, and remortgages happened. Uh, you have nice discussions with uh, your family or your wife um, with regards to how you're going to get through it. Um, and, you know, you, you have to kind of uh, be practical about it. Uh, but at that time, I was recently married, which is there's a risk there with uh, your wife with it. But... Um, you kind of you need to see it through, right? And because uh, otherwise you've thrown everything at it, uh, and you could just literally lose everything. And sometimes if it's not right, you've got to cut it. You've got to let it go. Um, but I just uh, I wouldn't give in. Uh, and it was you know I remember my, my business partner Ed had joined by this stage, and we completed a deal with Lloyd's Bank. <laughs> it was about two thousand pounds commission, which is a lot of. <laughs> uh, um, it, uh, I think we spent most of it on that night. In <laughs> so I think we were just so relieved, relieved, relieved we got a deal done. <laughs> but it, it's it, it's these. Um, I, I mean, I love these stories. You know, I love the. You know, I love I love this sort of. Uh, you know, having to swipe the credit cards and and. and you know, remortgage the house. There's such 
they're, they're such stressful moments, aren't they, uh, in 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 history? But then you look back and you you then overcome the the difficulty, and then you're able to then proceed. And then every time you you face a challenge, most of those challenges inevitably don't feel that daunting because you've been through so many really difficult moments um certainly in that particular phase gives you the crocodile skin uh but i just think it's important i I think a good point was i took it on early and uh, i got married at that point as well so your responsibilities change a bit Uh, um but um you know in one way i think uh, charlotte my wife would understand uh but there were certainly difficult situations uh, and uh, the, the main point about it is being able to stay strong and stay focused. And uh, at the time, I only had two or three people uh, working with me. So, but they, if if they feel un, you know unstable, you lose them. If you lose them, you lose what you've got. Yeah. So it, it, it's about it's about keeping keeping strong and keep keeping steady. D- did you have to sort of do the proverbial, you know, d- duck on water? Calm on the surface, above the surface, there, and 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 uh, and and with the legs moving frantically underneath the surface. One hundred percent. That's what it's about. You know, it's uh, if you if they feel that they're not going to be in an environment which is couldn't be around in three months' time, they probably leave. Um, if they if they feel uh, insecure in any way, and, and if you're not giving them the confidence about where you're going, and uh, that you're losing confidence in yourself, then. Why would you? Why would you want to work with anyone that's uh, got that going on? So I think the hardest things you go into in, in those situations is keeping. Um, you know, you, you always come. You know, the owner or the business owner, or whatever, is always last in any decision. That's mm. always the last with it, and you've always you can't put yourself before those people. Uh, so you're always at the at the end of that, and you've got, just got to give them the confidence that where we're going. Um, you, you know, there's security in the business. And uh, a belief uh, that we're we're you know going to do business, right? and and that that's one of the hardest ever things to get. You said about momentum at the start of the conversation. Uh, momentum is is really really hard to get. Once you get it, it's a different thing. But trying to get it and and it is the hardest part. Can you paint a little picture for some of our our listeners, particularly? I think we'll have uh, you know I'm sure there'll be plenty of uh, younger brokers and young younger people from the lending community. In, particularly in specialist finance development, commercial, buy-to-let, etc. Can you paint a picture of what the, particularly the development finance market, the bridging finance market looked like in end of 08, 9, 10, 11, 12? You know, I suppose the sort of kind of almost dark ages from a from a financing and lending perspective. Well, I think there's some still still uh, still some people in the market from those times and on the lending sector. Yeah. You know, look, every, everything changed. Look at bridging, right? Bridging um, pre-08 uh, and uh, was probably seen as a last last resort kind of thing you were going to before yeah. probably going bankrupt. Uh, and, and, you know, maybe it was done for a quick purchase from an auction, but majority of the time it was bailout situation and, and you know, wasn't professionally run. Um, and I'm, I'm doing, I'm talking generically there. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but... Then what happened is bridging became more institutionally funded, uh, became you know proper lending, and, and and people use bridging now as a tool in many different ways, uh, and and the way it's underwritten, the way the way it's lent, um, uh, the governance behind it is completely different. You know when you're lending, when you're borrowing off a of one-person um, uh, band or you know lender, 
um, uh, to to someone that has a um, a book of 500 million plus is it, is complete um, kettle of fish. So the bridging market is categorically uh, uh, different. Um, the development market, you know, the metrics are the same. Uh, I, I would say there's a lot more choice uh, uh, from it. I would say the markets become a lot more open and visible. Uh, so from a, an advisor broker point of view, you've got to see what value you add and, and how you do that. Um, where, you know, before maybe you'd have your main banks, Barclays, Lloyds, NatWest. Most people would have relationships with them for 30 years and keep using those and be very loyal to them. Uh, but now the, the market is is either run by banks still, but also by a lot of loan on loan providers. Um, and they compete in different ways. Leverage has got a bit more aggressive, and some people later has come into the market within the last five years might think that can't exist. But you know, to get leverage at 90% of cost in the development, you know, 15 years ago, other than what was happening with the Irish banks, etc., if you take norm normality, it wasn't normal. Uh, and uh, you know, uh, so um, the development market has become a lot more open. Uh, and people have, and this isn't allowed developers to grow. Now, before the development market was usually governed by quite a lot of big players. Now I'd say it's the, the main market, it's the SME market. Uh, and uh, and that's because it's become more available and um, and more open. So the, the market is just hugely, hugely different. And I think we're actually spoiled for choice, uh, even in, you know, speaking from uh, today. Uh, um, I think there's a lot of uh, more choice, but also a lot more professionalism and educated people in the market. Uh, mm. um, it attracts a lot of people uh, from uh, real estate degrees, etc. And so there's a lot more sophistication in the market as well. Yeah, uh, I, I would certainly agree with that myself. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious to know what, what the broking world looked like. Um, sort of, I guess, when you started Ark & Co, because I guess there's, and there's a follow-up question that, that that I'm interested in, but interest to, interested to ask, but, you know, how, how did the brokerage market look, I suppose, when you started Ark & Co, and maybe compare it with today, you know, at, you know, what, what are the key differences as far as you see it? I think it's 100% different. And if you ask uh, people in some people even in my business they might say I'm a little bit dated <laughs> but uh, you know the fundamentals are still there but yeah uh, it, it differs from sectors to sectors when I started there was literally and I'm, I'm not even a dinosaur I don't think anyway maybe I am but no no not at all wasn't uh, technology wasn't around and mm. so it was phone piece of paper pen uh, phone around a couple of lenders uh, work it out manually uh, and, and submit something by fax, if anyone remembers what a fax machine is. <laughs> wow. uh, uh, I don't think scanning even existed back then. But <laughs> it, was, it, it was very manual. Uh, it, it was all relationships. It was all phone-driven. Um, and uh, uh, there was, you know, I'd say broking generally was more about an introducer, introduction game. Mm. And that is still part of it. You know, we, you know everyone introduces to lenders. But it's become more professional, just like lending has. Mm. And I think as clients have developed and uh, the products have developed a bit more, there's a lot more choice. They demand more from us, which is good because it's driven quality into the market. 
Uh, and it's not about just knowing a lender now. It's not about just analyzing lenders. It's about, um, you know, in some understanding the cash flows, understanding the modeling, uh, and really and explaining these to the client. Near enough like an outsource uh, FD, CFO. Mm. Uh, that's within the commercial and development world. Mortgage broking is a bit different, uh, different from mm. there. Um, uh, so I'd say, you know, the uh, if we look continue on commercial and development, it's just become a lot more professional and sophisticated, and clients demand a lot more from us. Uh, so that means it's, it's a great thing because professional standards has, uh, has increased a lot. Um, and mortgage broking, which we still do part of that, but we're not very big in it. Uh, but it's it's a lot of it's tech driven. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we know that regulation has, has come in, which has created a lot of positive effects. There's a lot more uh, administration in it, which um, you know adds cost into the um, into the business model uh, with it. But uh, it's, it's it's very much a a, a tech driven volume game. Yeah, uh, absolutely, and, and uh, I I agree with that. And I think from the, the brokers that I speak to that do the sort of regulated resi side of things. Um, they say that it's it's not particularly attractive uh, business model if you don't have that tech proposition the sort of you know the habito you know type of uh, you know online mortgage lender um and it's only really worth doing the regulated stuff when you're doing the bigger ticket um high net worth borrowing type situations where you can add value and where the i suppose the, the online platforms don't know, don't necessarily have access to the the products or, or aren't able to really understand the the client's particular needs and I, I speak as someone who's who has a fairly sort of irregular income um you know I, I don't think I, I don't think I would be a suitable candidate for a an online mortgage um so that so as far as I understand that I can see why it's gone in that direction it, what I wanted to ask though is are you, would you say that there are, you know, more, less, or approximately the same number of people operating in that kind of commercial and development finance sector, or would you say that there's the, the number of businesses operating in that space has, has expanded? Yeah, in the commercial and development sector, I think has expanded massively, um, in in quite a few ways, really different reasons. Um, I think people um, uh, take it more of a professional career now. Uh, I think 20 years ago. In the commercial and development sector, it's usually a one-man band that might be doing it for introducer fees. Now there's professional businesses where you can have a real career path into it. Um, I, I think lenders um, or ex-lenders, people coming out of banks, might like to see the um, to be more impartial and go into the advisory side, so it attracts people from there. Um, people, there's uh, um, a natural, um, uh, you know, leakage from businesses where they've which is natural, and you know, it's normal in any environment, but people might be trained up in an environment and then want to go and start their own business to create their own career that way. And, and so there's been a big growth, uh, um, uh, which is great. Uh, and I really enjoy it, the competition. Uh, it keeps you on your toes. Um, and, and again, it just, it just develops and drives professional standards. Um, I think what it also does, it creates creativity within um, the lending market, because lenders quite often come to us to get closer to the clients. What what's going on? Uh, I'm not saying we're all we did we design products, but we um, we interact quite freely with the lenders, explaining what you know does work, where the market uh, needs are. I think it adds a really good cog into the system now uh, of of keeping momentum moving forward. 
of overall development. Yeah, I, I suppose in terms of increasing the number of brokerage brokerage firms, uh, I, I think Ark Co has been a really good, uh, I suppose, training ground for a number of uh, a number of businesses in the in the brokerage sector who've I suppose have spun off uh, spun off from you. And um, when you know when when you have you know when you have some of these I, I'd call them Ark Co graduates spinning off and setting up their own firms. I mean they've. they've the ones that I know, they're they've all they're all you know reasonably successful in their own way. How how does that how how does that make you feel? Do you is there an element of well I've trained them up what you know I've I've given them everything they know, uh, or or is it or do you look at it in a different way, which is it's a way of attracting new talent into the business to say well look this is the pathway that you can go on, um, and this is you know ultimately if you work with me for this this period of time. Uh, in it, this is this is the potential future that you've got uh, you know what, what's your mindset around that because I, yeah, I guess it's kind of bit, bittersweet I suppose yeah no it's, it's good it's a very good question actually because people ask me I think uh, a lot of people in the market apparently Arkinco train a lot of the market and uh, uh, and <laughs> and it's a good place to come and leave on uh, and go on but you know any business my first of all my argument with that is look people do move on uh, and you know and uh, to do their own uh, things and create their own businesses, etc., happens with any business. Um, of course, you never really want to see people move on in any in, in any business, but it, it's their it's their career uh, uh, and it, it's their lives. And there's there's their side to it, but there's the Arkenco side to it. Uh, I certainly wouldn't recruit and say this is where you could go. Uh, um, I want to retain it and build, and you know we we we've done fairly good at that, or been fairly good at that. Um, but it's it's certainly complementary you know uh, i'd say initially you think oh that i've spent a lot of time with that person and there's another competitor coming and maybe there's going to be a disagreement by uh, a client you know but i always say we're in a relationship game so uh, if a client wants to deal with uh, another person they, and they don't know me there's no point myself phoning them up and trying to do business with them the market's big enough uh, let's move on and 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 keep going so the, the the sweetness of it is it's very complimentary and uh, I quite I quite like um, that people go on and be successful. It's a nice thing to see. Uh, um, I'm really passionate about the industry and the business, not just Arkenco, but I love what I do. And if they have you know part of that uh, passion that I have, then I'm sure they'll be very successful and add a lot of value into the market. And that's what I like to see. Is that I like to see them go, and I like if people fall out of love with 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 the industry. You know that's fair enough, but I'm very much in love with it, and I like to see the growth of it. Uh, so whatever compliments, it's great, and you know, and hopefully I always say to them if we come across each other on a deal, some people are like, well, why don't we work on it together? And I'm not a big fan of that. I'd rather beat them. <laughs> I, I was going to ask about collaboration if you if you if you were seeing increased collaboration with some of uh, some other brokers in the industry but um i think that aren't that 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 may have answered that particular point uh i'm sure i'm sure you you do collaborate at times when it's when it's necessary of course um in, in just speaking about the number of brokers in the market what's your view on any likely consolidation within the brokerage sector over the next, I suppose, 12, 18, 24 months or, or even beyond that? I think it depends what their business plan is. Uh, yeah. I think people always say, you know, the market is definitely going to get tougher. 
you know, it's uh, if people will say that volumes will be down because there's less transactions happening. Yeah. You know? and if, if people are differently, then maybe I need to go and learn off them uh, uh, for a bit. But I, I think that we're going into a market where there's going to be less transactions. We've got to be able to change uh, um, our approach because needs are categorically different from what they were six months ago now. So we've got, we've got to learn and change and move into different markets and help our clients in different ways. Um, so what is a business plan is, is it because they need it because they're cost-based and they haven't got the cash flow? And, and is it because of that need? Is it because a combination of skills? You know, uh, so it might be that they have to change into something and it's a natural fit. Um, so there's various different ways why people might uh, uh, consolidate, merge, uh, et cetera. Um, and I, I always think, um, you know, the, the, the businesses which will do it is because their plan is to grow because they need uh, i think what's happened so i'm just backtrack say the ten mm. years, last 10 years is you can create business value within the advisory market and uh, uh what's is business value to create that there hasn't been enough track record to understand what is an advisory really worth and how is it worth yeah it's been track record made uh, over the last decade or so now of it really is a viable business and a business which has value. So, you know, if, if you're consolidating straight merging, you know, whatever the reason is, and that's what I say about the business plan, it might be to strengthen it, to bring in different skill sets, not just scale with team, bring in different skill sets, mm. make your business stronger, make it a better proposition, and therefore add more value. So uh, I think it will happen. I don't think it's just market led. I think it's common sense in, in, in a lot of people's businesses. Um, and quite a lot of time done well it can work out extremely well yeah there is a number of business there are a number of businesses in the brokerage sector that that are connected to or effectively conjoined with other other businesses so let's call you know finance brokerages and latent defects insurance brokerages or accountancy firms and uh accountancy firms and 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 brokers uh, just a couple a couple of examples off the top of my head um obviously we saw in terms of major mergers last year we saw howden's uh picking up spf obviously spf one of the larger brokerages in the market um what did you make of that particular merger and do you think that that's something that do you look at that and think that that presents a bit of an opportunity for someone like Ark and Co, uh, you know, I, either being the acquirer or the acquired? Yeah, I think if you look at that specific one, um, I don't think if you look at the outset, it's that obvious why. Uh, I yeah. think you need to understand SPF's not just a mortgage brokerage. They've got many other um, uh, angles and facets within there which complement uh, Howden's. Um, and uh, so I think it does make sense. Um, I, I think they did very well on the price, if we can advertise that. Uh, but um, I think that is a, it, it was, it's a good way where, and I believe Howden's is still privately owned, uh, I think, from it. But I think it's a good, within the ownership structure they've got, uh, with what Howden's is about, and I think there's other group companies in mm. there as well, Howden's group. Um, you know, the what it does is it, it's all about maximising um, the the sales uh, uh, points uh, to their clients, right? So, how much, um, uh, how many um, high net worth mortgages are Savills going to do? Which Howdens might be able to soak up the insurance, etc. So, it, that's generally what it comes uh, comes mm. down. 
um, and making it making the client more sticky, you know, to, yeah. to, to their proposition. Um, so uh, I think it is actually a good one uh, uh, from it. Uh, I don't mind saying uh, you haven't said it, but I think mantra was a good one. Yeah, uh, uh, that was the other other mate, I suppose, other higher profile uh, acquisition of a brokerage last year, at least within the specialist sector. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it makes sense, right? Because, um, you know, we're coming into a market where a lot of mantra's expertise is going to be needed from um, uh, their acquirers um, um, client base. Yeah. So, so it does make sense, and and I think really done well, it, it can it can make a lot of sense. Um, your question was, you know, is it something we will be doing? Uh, I think, you know, myself and my partner Ed, uh, both the same age, and if people don't know, is we actually met on the the first day of university, so we're all buddies from university, uh, and um, you know, we've still uh, we still want to move on you know we want to grow our income and we uh, there's um there's different ways of growing it and uh, i think uh we see the professionalism in our type of industry and we really want to enhance our offering with it um we would only entertain something if there's a natural synergy uh, uh from uh, you know mantra has natural synergy with who bought them uh spf i guess with a client base they have natural synergy there so if the right opportunity to grow Ark and Go, it's not about an exit, it's about growth. Mm. Why wouldn't we want to entertain it if it was going to be better for the business, but also the client base? Yeah, uh, I mean, I think that makes that makes perfect sense. Um, I mean, in terms of in terms of growth, what do you think the biggest challenges you're you're facing at the moment? I guess other than maybe um, things like the planning system. Providing us with fewer development finance opportunities as 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 a nation. Um, yeah. Looking past that for one moment, what what are the other major sort of challenges or obstacles that you know you're having to overcome to to bring about that growth? Yeah, I think I always talk to this about to my team as well. In anything in life, I think confidence is the biggest thing, and uh, the market confidence is is really low uh, at the minute. And uh, once you get the confidence, is that's when that's that's the uh, the start, uh, the trigger mechanism mm. for many things. Uh, and you know, so if the confidence is low, people don't commit to doing things. So that's why transactions fall off or or, or go there. It's uh, why lenders start to reassess, maybe reduce their loan to value expectations. So confidence is always the biggest one. But you know, I think the interest rate environment we've gone through in the last you know, eight months and the increases, the rapid increases we have. Um, I wouldn't say are just a threat, uh, but they, they have changed uh, categorically where the market is. It's, it's 100% uh, um, upside down from where it was this time last year. And commercial market, the commercial property market is a big um, uh, um, problem to address. And that's not just on interest rates. And the obvious thing is about where their their their, their values are. Uh, it's about the serviceability of those, and and is it viable? Uh, so it's a, the loan, the, the legacy issues that we've got to sort out are going to become are coming through because of the interest rate increases that we've got. Um, but then you know the the other scenario is you've got within the commercial market. You've got a lot of regulation which has come in around um, uh, ESG um, uh, credentials, EPC ratings after hit net zero targets. Um, so the commercial market is 
uh, I don't think you you use the word a threat or whatever it is, but on one side you've got the legacy issues which are going to uh, ramp up. They're only going to increase in the next 12 to 18 months because of the valuation points of interest rates and the viability of what's currently out there. So there's a lot of loan restructuring there. There's also a huge opportunity in that market because um, if you look at, you know, you've got big institutions that want to either buy buildings, lease buildings, and they can't, they won't do it unless there's a net zero scenario, et cetera. And there's a huge undersupply uh, of those top quality buildings. So actually in that market, commercial real estate has increased. Mm. In fact, it's literally supply and demand on that. And what you've seen on the funding side of that is commercial development or commercial refurbishment spec was always probably one of the hardest elements to fund. Mm. Liquidity has come into that market because it's not so speculative as it was because the demand is there because people need to move into those buildings. So uh, on one side, you have the issue of the interest rates, which is is, is going to create across the whole board a big mm. issue. Uh, but on the other side is is the opportunity. Uh, and, you know, the, the the funding market is already adjusting, not adjusted, adjusting to that market. Uh, and and uh, and I see that being a, a really key market to watch um, uh, in the commercial, you know, office space connected to um, uh, um, you know, ESG and green credentials. Yeah, I mean, as someone who's been very active in the office space going back 20 years nearly, um, I've always been I've always been a fan of offices, but I can also understand the unattractiveness of, um, you know, refurbishing or developing an office with with a view then to ultimately letting it and um, letting it and selling it or, or refinancing it. Um, you know, especially if you've got a lead a, a development I was involved in in central London uh, going back, what, 12, 13 years ago now. Uh, when we got consent for it in 2010, I don't think it was at, uh, it, it wasn't sold for another five years and it had been acquired in 2006. Um, I think I think when I looked at the original model, it was I think it was a five year. I think we were looking at sort of a three or four year exit on that particular one. So I think we overshot that uh, overshot that by about five years. And I say we I, I was well out well out the door by then. So I can't take any credit or, or, or any blame for uh, certainly the, the, the latter four years. I think you're uh, going to big shift though you know like I, I understand that point but uh you you've got say you know big companies big corporates you know let's look at that market for a minute 10 15 year leases they take 20 year leases yeah uh, they, they have break clauses coming up over the next five years their building isn't um gonna uh, uh, satisfy the ratings needed they've all got esg strategies and everything within their uh, um, uh, corporate um uh, uh, documents etc uh, or standards, uh, but the the and then the options are stay where you are, not work in a place where uh, it meets all of their corporate standards. Create a break and move into if they can get an office uh, uh, to it where it meets all of their credentials. So mm. a lot of people are going to be exercising these uh, uh, breaks and, and moving on up. But the the issue is if you if you did a search on um, you know, up and coming new offices in certain areas. Most areas have got an absolutely limited supply or, or a shortage of supply of it. So um, it's a good market to watch, you know, uh, with it. And I think there is a good, even though people can say about there's difficulties in the mortgage market, 
there's difficulties in refinancing or development's tough because the confidence isn't there of where the market might be in two years. Yeah, there is a good market in front of us, uh, uh, and that commercial need is, is a big need. Yeah, but it sounds like there's there's a multitude of opportunities for you in the commercial se- uh, commercial sector, particularly at the moment. I suppose first of all, with the the refurbishment facilities that you're looking to put in place to kind of get these bu- buildings up to sort of Briam, uh, whatever the latest Briam rating is. I think it's like sort of sub zero. Uh, and then you've got you've also got the standing existing assets which are on I suppose they've got that going through those revaluation exercises refinances um, and potentially you're going to have to the existing lenders going to have to look very hard at the restructures and I suppose for you that gives you that's giving you two new areas of of growth and operation that that you can kind of sink your teeth into um, and I think as well there's probably for for from your business as far as I see it there's a real moat around that because it's not like it's not like a it's not like resi bridging where uh, anyone with a cmap can just sort of rock up and and start firing off terms it's it's a very you know that barrier to entry that knowledge barrier is very high and there's only a, a handful of brokerages you know i suppose even within the whole of europe that can probably give the level of advice uh, that someone like yourself can in that space so yeah you've uh, got side is the big corporates to JLR, CBRE yeah etc. they don't want to do stuff really in uh, below 50 million I can understand why uh, but you know look at the gap we're, we're the UK here not the US thank god but the uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a big market under 50 million and um, so you know as you said if people want to move into that sector there's going to be there's going to be great opportunities yeah I mean look it's a again as someone who operates at also as an investor in the in the office sector um you know that sort of tier, two tier two tier market is is creating some interesting dynamics and uh, it, it's it's it'll be different to how how the the rebalancing of retail has gone um you know i think that there's obviously a, that loss of uh, that there is a loss of occupiers due to work working from home and i say loss of occupiers i think the amount of floor space that an occupier needs will have shrunk but at the same time, businesses businesses do need somewhere to operate from, and and I think it, gradually we're seeing people come back into the offices. So the way I'm seeing it is you you've got these as you said the sort of excellent top top notch ESG compliant buildings, but then you've got buildings which might have been developed seven eight nine ten eleven years ago which now aren't meeting the brief and i think they're almost like the meat the meat in the middle because then you've got the stuff that's you know your epc ratings of you know d and e but the smaller occupiers the independents they're they're in they're, they don't have those esg rating pressures uh, and so they can occupy those particularly in a you know in a managed or serviced manner so those buildings i think will will still perform quite well and i think it's just those you know, medium to longer let buildings, which are, you know, which are were class A really not that long ago. Um, but the cost of, of, of upgrading them to get them into that sort of compliant position um, is quite difficult to reconcile at the moment uh, without taking a massive hit to the values. Um, yeah. So again, but again, creating more opportunities for, for, for people like yourselves. Um, yeah, as long as it goes back to as, um, uh, as long as liquidity stays in the market in some area. Yeah. And this you said about um, big differences about 08. There wasn't any liquidity. 
uh, then there's still liquidity. It's just the confidence of what to invest into. And that is a hugely growing uh, market where people have got big pockets of cash to deploy into it. Yeah, I think that a lot of that cash was you know, sort of took a bit of a, a pause, didn't it, in, in the autumn of last year after the after the mini budget. Um, yeah. But but ultimately, you know, I think everyone gets a little bit bored of of not doing anything. And eventually you want to you, you want to get in and invest. So um, and I say that as having exchange uh, contracts to buy another commercial property yesterday. So uh, albeit not an office, uh, which marks a change for me. After, after a few years, um, yeah, I, I think I'll pick up bigger bargains than this one. But there's a there's a particular strategic reason for this this purchase. Um, in terms of the the speed of the rate rises, and we speak now, you know, if, if anyone's picking this up in the future, that we're in early May 2023. We're we're currently what four and a quarter percent. The the Fed's raised their rates yesterday to. Uh, was it was it five and a quarter over there? Um, although they just raised theirs as well today, I think by 25 bips. It seems inevitable that we'll get another 25 basis points. I think what is it uh, pretty imminently? Where? How, how do you see the current interest rate environment? And do you do you think that the current levels, current rate levels, are are sustainable? Um, you know, for the for the medium term, or do you think there's a sort of inevitability that they will eventually have to soften for one reason or another? There's a few points to take into account there, isn't there? I, I would say that um, we're we're probably going to four and a half, uh, and some people say, look, we might top out at five, but let's assume we we stay at four and a half, which is a reasonable shock into the market. Um, you know, the inflation may come down from that, you know, and it probably will start to come down a little bit. At some point, they're going to have to stimulate uh, um, uh, the the economy, and and interest rates have always been a way to do that. Uh, so, do I think they'll be shot right back down to 0.25 again? No, um, they they probably will start shrinking, and that you know the, the market predicts that as well. If you're looking at longer term uh, swaps, you know they're, they're they're a bit cheaper at the minute, so the market is predicting a bit of a decrease there. So I do I do see in the medium to longer term, you know, three to five years, they they will come down a bit. Um, there's been a huge adjustment uh, to people's um, uh, I guess acceptance of it. You know, so people were like, I'm not paying that, and then they think, well, I have to pay it now, so you have to adjust. Um, so I think the consumer market is now adjusting to paying higher. You know, the disposable income will take a hit. Uh, which will have knock-on effects elsewhere in the economy, uh, but it's not—it's not unusual uh, to be paying these rates. You know, people have, in the last 10 years had it quite uh, well. Mm. I think if you look back to uh, what started to happen, is a bit of margin compression from the lenders. So if you look back to um, mid 2000s, uh, when the rates started to get very cheap, there the base rates were still probably where they are now, mid fours, even fives, but the margin for cheaper. You know, the margin people, uh, the mortgages were like 0.5, you know, 0.25, uh, even at the very, very uh, um, positive, <laughs> or you can say positive or whatever, but uh, the height of the market, the margins went negative. So I remember the mortgages at uh, base rate minus 0.25 or 0.34, <laughs> whatever. Wow. And so so that I'm not saying it's going to go, the margins are going to go negative on it, but there is 
there is margin compressions which will hit lenders a bit uh, on it to make it a bit more competitive. So I think there's some fat in the market for uh, if, if rates stay where they are to products to get slightly cheaper, uh, uh, be it on from fees or a bit from margins. Uh, that will stimulate the market a little bit. Um, the people are probably thinking, well, what does this mean to like valuations when it comes down what people are prepared to pay for things categorically? Um, I, I don't think, you know, um, the investment market is going to be affected more than in, in the residential market, especially the buy-to-let sector, because um, uh, they categorically don't make sense anymore. You know, we know people, I've got friends which are, are negative on their buy-to-let uh, monthly payments. So there's only so long you want to you want to stay negative before shifting on. Uh, so I think that's going to uh, uh, change a bit. Uh, but categorically, I, I don't think rates are going to come massively down. In the short term, they're going to go up a bit, but they they may come down slightly. Uh, and I think we're we're here to stay. And and the other other side to that is it's good for savers if people if if anyone's got any money left. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. I, I... It, it is with interest rates being as high as they are it especially when you look at some of the prices of, of commercial properties that that look that you would ordinarily want to invest in um it's quite it, it it's quite challenging uh to want to buy anything at the moment you know in the context of well i can earn let's pretty soon it's going to be four and a half percent i can earn risk-free um lending to the government or alternatively, I could buy this building for five and a half percent or six percent. Well, yes, you can always make the rental growth and capital growth argument, but you know, right now it doesn't feel you know that's that doesn't feel that good. And it, I mean, I, so I, I'm I'm curious as to know what you think about where you're seeing commercial um, commercial margins. But when I'm being quoted for some of the stuff that I buy, and granted, it's the it's at the smaller end of the scale margins of you know three and a half percent on top of a four and a half percent possibly rising to five base rate so then i'm you know if i'm if so so let's put it into context if i buy it if i if i want to borrow three million quid I, i'm essentially getting a, a a quarter of a million quid a year essentially albatross around my neck if uh if my tenant decides to go awol um it's not a particularly appealing proposition right now so I can't say that I've seen a huge amount of compression in in margins, but I'm curious to see whether you know you've seen any. So you're, but you think you're seeing some some improvements in that space? Yeah, there has been some improvements, and you're exactly right. Commercial, and there's a big difference here between mortgages on the residential side and and yeah. the commercial side. Uh, uh, margin compression, I was really um, uh, focusing on the residential mortgage yeah, side. Yeah. Okay. And 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 that that will it already has happened, and it will happen a bit better. To, so pricing, I can see getting a bit better for the consumers on the mortgage side. The affordability could be still of an issue because of the base rate, whatever. But the commercial market is more about how to price in the risk um, uh, from it. Um, you know, what's if you know categorically what you're borrowing off, we can't control. But if you're borrowing, if the base goes to five, as we just said, and the cheapest, leanest commercial margin I'm seeing at the minute, you know, if you get an institution in there, you're probably at two and a half. Mm. So even if you've got a, a, a great building and you've got a great tenant, very strong covenant, you're still borrowing at seven and a half percent, and you know that's not that's not attractive, right? Uh, 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 from things. Um, so yeah, I, what will happen? And I think we're kind of we're dancing around it, or maybe I am. 
that there probably will be a price adjustment. Right? Yeah. And it's, it's already happening. Um, and you know, if people say if people aren't going to accept that, you know, the the, the market is a cycle, and you know, you, you generally can't beat the cycle. Uh, uh, and I know uh, our politicians uh, think they can, and we keep plastering over it. But there will be adjustments, uh, and you know, valuers. If you look at valuers now, there are differences in values. So uh, in some in some sectors, um, the prices will drop. Yeah. I mean, I think that's I, I think there's an, an an inevitability to it. And certainly within, you know, I suppose, this sort of M25 office sector where I'm quite active, at least in terms of the stuff that I look at. And, um, you know, without question, we're, we've seen probably a good 300 to 400 basis points shift in in pricing on that. What I would call kind of fag end leases of, you know, two and a half to three years uh, and yeah. below. So, yeah, I, I, I see that without question. And I suppose changes to the you know the PRA changes to risk weightings as well um, in terms of how the banks and other lenders will will treat those particular loans on their balance sheet um, is only going to probably make the margins more expensive at least in the in the short to medium term. So yeah, it's going to be quite quite interesting times. Possibly creates an opportunity though from maybe from different institutional sectors that are outside of the banking industry if they want to get into lending large volumes on commercial assets because clearly the the banks are being pushed away from that um, as you know as a group by by the regulators. Yeah, I, I think look the message within Ar- within Arkenco we have our team meetings is look let's use our own. Uh, what we are to our advantage you know we're, we're not hamstrung by balance sheet right so we've got to dance fast and pivot right and so uh, uh, we've got to find the different areas of the market and um, so if we stick to what we're doing we're going to fail and I think that's always the same in most businesses but um, you know now is, is, is the time to be stretching your legs into different markets is looking at making yourself um, uh, familiar with different funding structures different lenders uh, and, you know, human beings, are, we're difficult people, aren't we? We don't really like change usually. Uh, and you've got to put yourself in that situation to change. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, speaking of which, um, we've seen we've seen a few of your peers expand themselves into the lending space and setting up their own lending divisions. Is it something that you've that you've considered or do you feel that, you know, that one of your biggest selling points is your impartiality and the level of advice and service you give and you know you you would you you worry that going into the lending space would tarnish that potentially well i think the worry comes from if it's the same people running it uh, yeah. so at the end of the day we're brokers we're not lenders and we're never going to make good lenders uh, yeah. because what we've done all our life is to get our clients the best deals from the lenders so uh, i think it's categorically wrong that brokers should be automatically lenders uh, you know, we all know the obvious is we're in, we're origination. Right? Yeah. So lenders want origination, so synergies are there to make it work. Yeah, I think there are some great examples of it done well mm-hmm. uh, in the market, uh, creating enterprise value for for the corporate, uh, but also product development quicker to the market. So there are great examples, but you've got to have the right setup. So it's got to be individually separately. Branded separately, own the community, the the, the um, credit, if you want to call it that, plus the decision uh, um, makers within it need to be 
they need to be different. They can't, they can't, you can't, in my mind, you can't have controlling people in both that can influence it. So there needs to be a real uh, Chinese wall up there. Um, is it something we would consider? Why not? Uh, um, we haven't done it yet. Um, I think in the last six, seven years, I looked at it probably about five times a year. <laughs> with, um, uh, you know, we, we, we originate quite a bit of business, so no doubt uh, we could uh, potentially make it work. Uh, but I think it needs to be right. And, uh, and I think uh, for that to happen, we would need to change, have a structure change within our business as well. Because what myself and Ed do is drive the day-to-day -day business uh, uh, from it. So uh, our roles, would it's a, it would be a big shift for us because we would need to have a, a real structure change. Um, I'm not saying it couldn't be done in the future, but it's not going to be done immediately. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I guess uh, keeping keeping all options on the table, essentially. Um, uh, just and then, I mean, speaking of lenders, um, you know, as uh, speaking as one of the sort of 637 different bridge and development lenders that exist in 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 the UK at the moment, um, <laughs> I, I, I might be I might be um, I might be exaggerating by one or two hundred, but it's still I, I think I think it still illustrates the point. Um, do you what do you think about the number of you talked about the, the being sort of almost sport for Joyce and the number of lending options? Do you think that you know, do you think that 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 space now it's time or create opportunities for consolidation um, in the lending space, you know, sort of just based on your experience and, and what you sort of hear and see in the market? Well, I do and I don't. Um, you know, I love the I love being independent from it because it means we can access anyone with, you know, we I also there's a lot of brokers and a lot of my competitors say we have a panel of lenders and we want lenders to come onto our panel. I'm not a fan of that at all, uh, and uh, the reason is because uh, it's mainly done for to build up volume to potentially get better, they say criteria, but usually better fees uh, uh, in there. Uh, and also, it it doesn't add to your value to your clients, and uh, the market changes rapidly. And I think if you have a panel, you restrict yourself uh, uh, hugely. And if that people on the panel start to freeze up or they've got legacy issues on their book or um, uh, uh, any any issues with their book you really really uh, shoot yourself in the foot so from an advisor point of view you need as much as you can it's hard you know we, we have a very you mentioned the word collaboration earlier on we have a very collaborative approach and um, you know we, we are one thing about we've very always been keen on in Arkenco is a team an ethos of the team and working together and sharing information that's one thing we're hot on, and and that's because it's about uh, we can't keep up on top of these 637 lenders. So there may be more or less or whatever. It's a very very hard job uh, uh, to to understand the market, and no one is perfect. No one will ever get it 100%. Uh, so our game is to try and get it as close to 100% as we can in mm. that market. Um, with regards to consolidation with them, a lot of them do offer the same. Uh, um, products, uh, but and when people join Arkenco, I take them through a kind of onboarding process and train them a bit and set them certain tasks. And some lenders don't like it because they always get calls from our new people saying, "Can I? Can you explain to me uh, what you do?" Kind of stuff. And then they like, "Well, why don't you ask the people within Arkenco? I'm sure they can tell you." Uh, but the main thing is to get them to speak to them, to ask them the right questions, to understand their criteria. And uh, what's always quite interesting is the younger people come back and say they don't differ they're, they're, they're all offering the they're same, all the same. 
Yeah, but you know, when you go, you, you look behind it. So I had one this morning uh, with the new guy that's joined um, uh, Dieter. And uh, Dieter said, um, this person's charging a 3% arrangement fee. And I said, well, what question, you know, should you ask them from that? Uh, and it was a development lender. Uh, and, and I said, we well, should ask if it affects the, the net day one loan, you know, because uh, if they're charging a large fee and the interest rate looks proportionate, you know, obviously they, they structured it in a certain way for the costings and returns, et cetera. But if you're, if you're competing against this lender uh, and you need to find a way to beat them, if that 3% is coming off the day one, uh, that's affecting their equity amount. And so uh, yeah, for the client to put in. So you, you've got to really break it down into the finer details and understand. But categorically, what does it come down to? Relationship and um, uh, the certainty of execution. And that, that that's to me is the biggest issue. It's the intangible part of what we do. Uh, so um, not many people, there's a lot of people that could potentially lend out there, but getting a deal done, mm. it's all about. And, and, and that's, you know, out of your 637 lenders, how many people can actually execute? Yeah, I mean, I think from a broker's perspective, having having that, having the, the, the that sort of breadth of, of diversity of, of funding options is absolutely key and a big, a big attraction. I was at, uh, I was at a drinks reception a couple of weeks ago with a corporate finance house called Smith, Smith Square Partners. Um, and there were a couple of people uh, who were uh, sort of you know knew what they were talking about who were saying that there's there is a big wall of cash probably going to come from new york sooner or later that's going to look to uh, you know hoover up a lot of these sort of small to medium sized bridging lenders and, and and development finance houses and consolidate them into you know in, into one or two you know sort of 500 to a billion a year type operations um you know, and 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 that to me does make sense because you know I think that there, you know, there probably there probably are a few too many options. Um, and like you said, like uh, uh, like your colleague Dieter said that you know that, that they are that a lot of them are the same. You know, not not necessarily offering anything different or differentiated. Um, but but at the same time, can understand why. Why, from a selfish perspective, uh, and I'm not saying it's wrong anyway, as, as a broker and certainly also as a consumer, um, the, the you know the, the why it would be attractive to have as many options as possible. But as as I've previously uh, explained uh, to to people privately, uh, perhaps not to yourself, but you'll you'll appreciate this as a as a lover of wine. Um, I I like I often liken a good broker to a good sommelier. Because when you go to a, a, a go to a restaurant and you're and you're faced with a 637 uh, bottles of wine wine list, um, you might need a little bit of guidance as to which would be the right pairing. So uh, yeah. So anyway. Um, yeah, you're so, right. Well, look, the pairing is uh, if you if you like your wine that way and pair it up with the food. You know, there, there's the the other art of uh, of what we do is to make sure if you get if you're doing a project like a development, you've got to have the right um, relationship. You know, that, uh, and, it, and it's key because if the people don't get on or there's a conflict in, in how they are, it's gonna be very tough through the two year uh, process. So there is that side to it as well. But sorry, yeah. just to finish off any consolidation, there probably will be. And you know, it's um, if people are struggling because vo- volume levels come down as well. 
people can't hit their targets, uh, lending targets, um, and you know where their funding comes from. They're under conditions that maybe they need to lend, you know, five million a month or whatever it would be. And if they're if they're not doing that, it doesn't make you know sense for for all parties involved. So uh, there will be a consolidation on that. Um, going back to the New, New Yorkers, they've always been around and they always see um, see us as a great opportunity to make a lot of money uh, uh, from it. And and they may be right. And you know there is money from the US in our sector like that, and it is doing positive things uh, uh, through scale, scaling up businesses. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Avonmore has been a beneficiary of uh, of American money. Uh, two of our major funding lines are, are are from the US, one from the West Coast, one from the East Coast. So I mean, but I think that there's Shall we say there's uh, maybe new money that's uh, that's maybe eyeing us up that uh, that, that sees sees the UK as, as quite an attractive proposition. But I guess we'll we'll see how that uh, we'll see how that plays out. Um, I wanted to move on maybe to uh, to sort of just to get to know you get to know Andrew outside of the uh, outside of the office. Um, you know what? What are the sort of things that you like to do when you when you're not working? Obviously, you, you mentioned rugby. That sounds like something that you still have quite a a, a fond uh, a fond attraction to. Um, are, are you still are you still sort of? I know I I, I know not too long ago Ed was still playing. I, I I wonder have you had you hung up your boots a little bit before Ed did? Uh, a long time ago, unfortunately, that's probably one of my worst decisions ever made in my life. Um, is, uh, you know, giving up something in my mid-twenties, which um, uh, I regretted. Uh, and uh, so that that was a big regret. I actually stopped playing when I was 25. Um, I did pull, pull my boots on uh, when I was about 35 uh, for a kind of old boys get-together at, um, uh, at a tournament and uh, realised that a lot of my friends were still playing at a very good standard and, and turned up and uh, didn't go too well. I looked like the pop. The pot belly man with skinny legs and get I still thought I could tackle like I could do when I was 22. <laughs> Where flew myself in to tackle this the biggest guy in the pitch and literally got annihilated uh, and couldn't move my shoulders for about three months. Uh, so so that, that that was the my last uh, uh, game in there. But yeah, rugby is a passion of mine. You know, sport generally is a passion uh, uh, from it. Um, you know, it's about getting the right time, but I think you've got to also get that balance. Uh, I think. Um, I've always been head down within work and very uh, consumed within that, but you've also got to get the right balance in that. And that's something you learn over time. Uh, really, my my son's starting to put his put his boots on. <laughs> uh, he's supposed to be touch rugby, but um, I don't know where he gets it from. But um, I think this guy was just about to skin him around the outside, and he and he kind of flung himself in there and tackled him, and he got his first red card on Sunday. <laughs> he, he's only he's only four. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so uh, I, I was like, I felt insane. like cheering. Uh, the other parents are like, "What's that boy done?" or whatever. And there was a few kids crying, and I literally wanted to walk over and high five it. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, uh, so there's a bit of fun with that. Um, wine is a passion uh, from it, but generally, it's family. Uh, my, my age and where I am in my life, I've got a young family. Um, so uh, really, outside of work, there's a bit of sport or a bit of watching, but. Doing things with uh, with families is, is the main point at the minute. And you're obviously, like myself, you know, uh, in your sort of early forties, you um, are you now starting to engage in a sort of uh, health and well-being stuff, the health and well-being craze that that seems to be you know sort of sweeping, uh, particularly men of our age. 
um you know <laughs> are, 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 have, have you have you braved the ice bath yet uh daily mm-hmm. ice bath i i it's, it strikes me something that ed might do but uh have, uh, have you given yeah. that a go yet yeah, Ed loves his fitness. He also likes going down to the dentist and getting his teeth whitened. But the, uh, <laughs> <there is. laughs> that's an exclusive for for all of our listeners. <laughs> yeah, he, he won't like that. <laughs> do, do I like to keep fit? I think it should be on everyone's um, uh, everyone's agenda. Um, I'm not in as good shape as I I, I would like to be. Uh, it certainly is. I do enjoy it. Uh, it, it's really a time thing with it and it's no excuse but yeah I need to I, I was at a lunch the other day actually uh, after completing a deal and the, the guy who was asking me a question is um, and I've known this person for a while and he was asking me what's your plan you know you know now you're in your early 50s and I was like what <laughs> <laughs> I, I came home and I said to my wife I've just this guy I've known for a while I thought I was early 50s I thought maybe it's a bit I need I need to need to start taking care of myself a bit more and uh there comes comes a point in time i guess when you do uh and um so yeah it's i don't think uh how diet is an important thing my, my wife likes eating healthy so uh, other than me having the odd pack of haribo behind her back um, I eat quite well. <laughs> uh, but um yes yeah fitness is a big thing yeah of course uh, yeah. I'm, like, I'm a big fan of it yeah. So, uh, and and what is what's what sort of uh, what sort of things do you do you tend to do fitness wise? Is it is it running? Is it gym? Is it you know playing tennis or some other sports? Yeah, walking to the gym, not going in and walking back up the stairs. Uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> the, the, the walk to the jacuzzi is it in, in the gym? <laughs> I actually do. I want to buy a rower actually because um yeah you think yeah you got to look at what you actually don't mind. Rowing is pretty tough, uh, but what you could do in 10, 15 minutes on a rower is, is pretty good. So uh, rowing, I am going to buy a rower so I can um, yeah, sit on there and do, do some exercise. Generally, I do a bit of running um, uh, from it. There's, um, I live in Guildford now, and there's a, there's a crew down here that go out running uh, um, most days. So sometimes I join, join them. I got into a good habit of that, especially in the summer, when it's early, we meet up 6 a.m. and go for a run. Uh, but I stopped doing that because I got injured. But I need to get back into it. It's like you know, once you once you stop it, and uh, you need you need to build it back up. But yeah, that's quite nice. And that's also uh, you know, if you get up at early on a Friday in the, in, the, in the summer, go for a run with your friends, uh, and it's a good way to start the day. And you can still make it into the office by nine, half nine, and um, yeah, you feel good. Yeah, and I guess that's yeah, that it's it's a key a key part of supporting your your, your sort of well-being because being a business owner and obviously difficult moments i'm sure uh late september last year must have uh can't have done uh you know can't have done too much for your life expectancy uh you need yeah. these you, you need these these things to kind of settle yeah. you down and, and and help manage your your, your well-being and, and and general sense of wellness there was a story around that actually in that september when that when that happened is i was i was on a plane and uh, on on the tarmac, and um, we, we suddenly uh, the French uh, airstrikes hit just as we we're about to take off. So the, we were sat on the tarmac for about five hours, and I got a call from the office of obviously what's been what's happening. Most of the pipeline was frozen. So suddenly <laughs> we're about 200 million of loans down. I'm locked in the plane for five hours, and uh, I was doing the begging for a gin and tonic. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think if you if you'd asked them for five, I think they you know you probably would have been well within your rights to do so at the time. <laughs> um, 
what what do you think your sort of superpower superpowers are you know like why and why do you think people want to work with you compared to other people like you know what, what is it about you that that sort of makes you special well isn't that usually the question you should ask them yeah <laughs> <laughs> i don't know I, I i think um uh how i my my um way of business and within businesses you've you got to be yourself uh, so I've seen so many people um, either set up their business and suddenly they change as people, uh, and uh, or they set they become a manager or something. They suddenly change and they got to that position because who they are. And uh, uh, so the biggest mistake I I think or you ask about a superpower is if you're genuine, if you are who you are, you know, and and, and be yourself, and yourself relates to the people which are around you. Um, they're going to accept there a bit more, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, you don't have to walk through your office doors and suddenly become a dictator uh, and, 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 and talk to people in, in a different way. So I think, um, you know, what people like rather than a superpower is, is people being genuine, people understanding that we're humans, we make mistakes, uh, people that can relate to how they are. Um, and you know, I'm probably find that quite difficult with younger people coming into the market, and I need to understand them better. But relate to them, relate to their circumstances, and, and explain to them, you know, everyone's going to make mistakes, and why this has happened. And you know, when people make mistakes, why do you need to get angry about it? It's already happened. You can discuss it. You can talk it through. So uh, being genuine person, and 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 being yourself, and being able to have fun. Yeah, I, I think you know, why do you need to? do work uh, and you know why does work or why does work change you from being your normal person if, you, if you're not if you're normal there you're going to enjoy it a lot more uh, and I think if you enjoy it a lot more that uh, rubs off onto them and, and, and then it's a connected uh, thing so um, you know that loyalty anyone that works with me uh, whatever it's it's complete loyalty and I'll always back them uh, uh, until you know they, they want to move on and set things up and they become a competitor. No, that's that's great, Andrew. You know, and I think it, I, I think that comes across. You know, certainly in in my dealings, you know, with you and Abel and Arco have been sort of uh, long-standing partners. So yeah, without question, we've always got that sense from you. And there's there's something about the people that work for Ark and Co. Whoever whoever it is, you know that that we that we get to deal with at any one time. Um, you, you always you always know you're going to be dealing with someone who's who's nice, but but also professional, um, and someone that you're going to enjoy working with. Um, and yeah, you occasionally you get the you will get the occasional kick up the bum because uh, the client wants the money yesterday. But that's just that's just part of it. Comes with the territory, doesn't it? Um, Definitely. You you mentioned Wall Street as a as, as something that was a bit of an inspiration uh, an inspiration in getting that first job. Um, I personally happen to absolutely love the movie. Um, is would you say that's one of your favourite films, or is there something else? Or, or you know, if you're you know, we all have that we all have that movie that we turn to that you know when we're sort of probably feeling a little bit sorry for ourselves on a Sunday afternoon uh you know is is would wall street be that or is there something else that you, you yeah, might turn but, to 
I always think it was probably when you're you when you when you're younger and you're aspirational and that's what you want to want to be like or that's what you think life is about. Yeah. Um. I'm, I always love so uh, you know in films I always like documentaries. I like and the ones that stuck with me uh, like that are the Living with Lions. You know, it goes back to rugby. Of course, with, yes. And he got there and you know <laughs> the original one of 1997 with um Wonderwall and if anyone knows me they know I like Wonderwall uh, and uh, and it's a you know those kind of things which make it reality yeah and a picture um, uh, yourself being in that situation or where you were at that time being kind of um, yeah you know relate to it so I, I love those kind of documentaries I think the other thing you know the one on drive to survive is a really good one because uh, you yeah. see the the the, uh, the underground part of um, F1 that no one uh, does so I love uh, documentaries and, and reality uh, um, and so you can kind of picture it and you know, there's there's certain ones where uh, you know it's if if you put yourself in those environments you've experienced that before yeah, and, yeah. And that that's what I like. Yeah, well, I, I guess if uh, if those are up your street, you probably would have enjoyed uh, the last dance, which is the, about the last season of uh, the Chicago Bulls, uh, yeah. their, their team in the '90s, which yeah, as as a, as a Chicago Bulls fan, I absolutely love that. And uh, I don't know if you got to watch Icarus yet, the the, the one that was meant to be about doping in uh, in amateur cycling, and then ended up being this sort of massive explosion on. Uh, on what was going on the doping program in uh, in Sochi in 2014, and uh, yeah, I've seen that. that Icarus, yeah, Icarus, yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I mean, yeah, it's it's very compelling viewing. You'll you'll enjoy that. Um, it, do you? And um, what about reading? What about books? Is there any particular books that you that you particularly like, well, or that that, that, that are left? Uh, yeah, biographies. Uh, yeah, I would say. Uh, uh, I'm not a big book reader, uh, uh, really. Um, of uh, no, nothing, you know. If if it is a book, it's a it's a biography generally of, yeah. of someone which of um, you kind of aspire to be, or you know, you you followed their career path in uh, in rugby or sport or you know boxing or whatever it may be. So uh, I like to see that, and when they talk about um, uh, certain games or certain fights or whatever it would be, you mm-hmm. can kind of remember watching them, and you can you can feel the other side yeah. of it. So I'm always interested into that. Um, business biographies uh, um, yeah. as well, because uh, I, I like I like to understand, uh, and you can relate to it, right? When you when you've yeah. been through certain situations, you can relate to it. Know you're you know you're not just on your own. Uh, so yeah. you know those things. And, and what was what was the most recent biography you 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 read that that you you oh. might recommend to to the listeners? I haven't, I haven't actually read one within the, the, the last year. I'm going to have to look at there and think of there. What's <laughs> open Side, which is Sam Warburton's one. It, 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 okay. On that, yeah. uh, skin in the Game is, uh, what's that, Skin in the Game? I'll have to remember who, what that was. But yeah, there, there's some decent ones. There was another one, actually, which um, a, a book, which wasn't a, a biography, but it's called London Grad. Uh, and that was about yes. uh, the Russian money coming into London. Uh, through the 90s and how it started and uh, I actually um, had a lot of clients from the CIS region uh, late 2000s and uh, you, again you could probably relate to it and understand it uh, but it was very interesting to read uh, uh, so I did I did I did read that yeah I, I guess um, current I guess the current geopolitical climate uh, probably puts that into a into a completely new context now um, yeah. I think a lot of those a lot of those clients would uh, uh, some of those clients might might be more difficult to to deal with 
now because of um, AML, uh, you know, uh, considerations and that kind of th that kind of thing, and uh, and being on certain lists. So uh, yeah, it must have must be quite uh, must be quite challenging uh, dealing yeah, with some well, of those people today. We don't have many of those clients now, but I can no. say I've got very fond memories of my tri trips to Russia on business development and uh, maybe uh, drinking too much vodka in Russian karaoke bars, trying to make friends with the locals. I don't think I'll be doing that again. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I was going to say I'm, I'm impressed that you've got memories uh, if if you're if you're on the vodka in uh, Russian karaoke bars, but. <laughs> Uh, well, we can we can save this. You know, Russian karaoke bar doesn't go down very well. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, Andrew, um, I think we I think we run out of time. So, um, but I wanted to thank you for for your contribution today. Uh, it's been really good. Um, if if any of our listeners wanted to reach out to you, um, have you got any particular social media or or, or web links that you might might invite uh, our listeners to to reach out to you on? Uh, LinkedIn is the only one I really use. I'm a bit data now, but I've always got time for everyone. So uh, if you do want to reach out, it's not a problem at all. So uh, look look for Andrew Robinson from Ark and Co on LinkedIn and uh, connect with connect with Andrew and uh, and and please he'd love to hear from you. Um, well, Andrew, thank you very much for joining me. It's been a it's been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I hope you have too. And um, and, and most importantly, hopefully our, our listeners have got something from it as well, which I'm sure they have. Uh, anyway, thank you very much. My pleasure. Thank you. A big thank you goes out to the official sponsor of the Property Funder podcast, Avonmore Capital, a property bridging and development lender located here in London. They, as much as me, understand the importance of somebody's story and how they got to where they are. Lending on projects from just £250,000 across the entirety of England and Wales their understanding of all development backgrounds and can help support you at any stage in a scheme, even if you just have one brick down. Visit www.avonmorecapital.com to find out more about how they can help you in your development journey. Thanks so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you can go away having learned something new and even picked up some new things to apply to your day today. Catch us in the next episode for another interesting story.